2: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
3: It's
4: 12.03 on August 9th, 2023. Good afternoon, and thanks so much for joining us for the Wednesday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour. I'm Rachel Pearson, filling in for Rob Hart. Sports giant ESPN is moving into the betting market. We'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, though, the birth of a baby is a perfect time to get started on their financial future. Joining us in the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home is Mark Holbert investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington, D.C. And Mark, while we're probably not going to hand a newborn a smartphone with the Robinhood app on it, there are some things that we can do to set them up for financial success.
5: Absolutely. And in fact, uh, with no offense to Robinhood, I'd say the last thing in the world you want to do is (laughs) hand uh, hand a smartphone with uh, with a Robinhood app. And the reason I say that is that almost all the research on this question for long-term investment performance is is universal, that you should not be trading in and out. You should put your money in the stock market and in an index fund in particular, and then do nothing. And of course, when you have an app like Robinhood, you are tempted to uh, trade in and out every time you see a particular stock or a fad or an industry or whatever that seems to be hot. And the, the, the as I say, the research is universal that that's not a good idea. So put your money, if you want to do a real gift to a newborn, put your money uh, that you want to give them into an index fund and uh, prevent them from being able to touch it until they're 65
4: years old. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. This is the benefit of starting when they're this age is that you have time on your side.
5: Well, that's right. If you are sixty-five years old already and you are about to retire, and the market goes down into what we call a bear market—down at least twenty percent—and most historical bear markets have been down a lot more than that, then you don't have as much time, obviously, since you're already retiring, Mm -hmm. to make up uh, that loss. Whereas, if you have a bear market earlier in your life, almost. Certainly, the market will eventually recover. And when you are, of course, a newborn, you have the maximum length of time for that recovery. So that's what the bet is on that score.
4: What advice do you have, too, for for maybe, let's say, college savings? Is that something that, that we can also sort of set, forget, let it grow?
5: Well, that's right. Though you don't have quite as much time for that, but again, the the odds are relatively good that I now I put the <laughs> relatively in quotes there. But nonetheless, let's say that uh, you have twenty years to to uh, pay for the tuition of a newborn. Most bear markets have been recovered uh, by that 20-year period of time. Not all, but most of them. So, again, it's a matter of probabilities. But your odds of success there are, again, better than if you try to trade in and out of the, the market. There's one statistic that I think is just overwhelming. A new group of researchers uh, led by somebody at Arizona State, they went back and looked at the total wealth creation of the stock market worldwide over the last 30 years, And all of the collective wealth was accounted for by 2.39% of those stocks. So unless you were invested in those, your net return for the last 30 years is zero. And so unless you think you can, and of course, if you think you can, I'm going to tell you, you're probably wrong. You should just put your money in index fund because that's the way to guarantee that you're going to be invested in those stocks that produce the wealth.
4: And then you just have to teach your child to say the words compound growth.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, uh, Yeah.
4: No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, again, it's
5: one of these. These are relatively boring concepts, and that's what makes it so hard. People think that they are smarter than the rest of us. They think that they're smarter to be able to guess which sectors or stocks will do well. They think they can guess which are the stocks will be part of that 2.39%. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's always dangerous. And so to be told, oh, do nothing for the next 65 years is so boring that it ends up being one that uh, we know is true, but we nevertheless don't follow it.
4: Thanks so much, Mark Holbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com. Cash,
2: credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
4: Disney-owned ESPN has signed a licensing deal with Penn Entertainment to create a sports book. So let's discuss ESPN Bet with Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Vertaire Group here in Chicago. And Tim, what exactly would this sports book look like for ESPN, and what would make it different?
6: Well, it's, uh, it's a very good question, and it's really uh, a sign of the times in terms of, of sports betting, which has exploded over the last five years since the Supreme Court allowed states to, uh, to, to offer it. Um, this is really a branding play. Uh, the entity, the company that uh, runs the betting platform that ESPN Bet uh, will be on is a company called Penn Gaming. Uh, and it is, uh, Penn has basically been a, a, a distant third or fourth or maybe even fifth uh, amongst the various firms that have stepped up to kind of uh, gain and uh, uh, acquire market share. FanDuel and DraftKings uh, sort of being the top two. Uh, with the arrival or the the, mer- the uh, uh, blend, if you will, of ESPN's brand uh, to replace uh, the name Barstool Sports, which was the previous brand partner of Penn, that's essentially what Penn is doing is swapping Barstool for ESPN. It is literally and figuratively a bet that the ESPN brand will be far more substantial, far more scale, far more attractive uh, to bring Penn Gaming's Uh, betting platform into the upper stratosphere and potentially challenge a FanDuel or DraftKings and maybe arguably be the number three uh, betting platform in the United States with this powerful ESPN brand.
4: Well, that's just it. ESPN already has that gigantic brand recognition. It has the content. And now it's, you know, similarly looking, saying, hey, there's revenue to be made here.
6: Yeah, look, Penn is basically paying ESPN for its branding. It's paying ESPN over 10 years at $1.5 billion. Not a bad thing for Disney and ESPN, who needs the cash and is thinking about spinning off stuff from the parent company. Uh, But it's also ironic because uh, uh, Fox, literally, Fox Sports literally just got out of the betting business last Mm. week with their own deal. Uh, So it's not a guarantee that ESPN is going to be the magic bullet for all of this, but uh, it's certainly be a stronger brand than Barstool was for Penn Gaming.
4: Well, it is a roll of the dice, and it's an expensive roll at that. But if it has the the positive yields, then I guess in hindsight we'll look back and say, "Oh, that was a good idea."
6: Well, it's risky. It's risky. Penn is a, is a, a, arguably maybe a three point five billion dollar valued company, and they're basically committing one point five billion to spend in marketing uh, to buy the ESPN brand. So it's a risk for Penn, just as uh, and probably a little less so for ESPN because. Hell, they'll just take the checks because they're ESPN.
4: Thanks so much, Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Vitaire Group here in Chicago. Up next, the largest sick day of the year in America. It's coming up this month.
2: Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
4: You may not know it, but the sickest day of the year is coming up in just a couple of weeks. Let's learn more from Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs expert at Robert Half here in Chicago. And, uh, you know, Michelle, if I were to feel under the weather in a couple of weeks, I guess I wouldn't be alone.
0: No, absolutely not. Um, you know, as noted, August 24th appears to be the sickest day of the year.
4: But is this actually sick or is this people calling in sick? Um, I actually think it's probably people
0: calling in sick. Um, (laughs) We recently did a survey on burnout and, you know, about 38 percent of people are saying they're more burned out than they were a year ago. And, you know, with summer coming to a close and, you know, for working parents getting kids back into school, it might be a good day to take, you know, take a day for yourself.
4: Okay, but if I'm a manager and I know that this is coming up, how can I plan for that?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I think the communication piece is key, right? Really finding out if your staff is feeling burnout and if they need to take a day off, working with them to make sure they're scheduling that day off versus calling in sick um, will help you kind of alleviate having maybe your entire staff out on August 24th.
4: Yeah, wouldn't it be convenient for everyone to feel burnt out on the same exact day? But here's <laughs> right. the other thing, too, from an employee perspective, this is something that we think about here, too, just working in the newsroom, is, is your absence as an employee, it impacts other employees as well.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, if you as an employee are feeling, you know, burnt out or that you need a day, What we really encourage you to do is speak up and talk with your manager, maybe to even see if there's some flexibility they can give you, you know, throughout the week so that not everybody's off on that same day. But, you know, everybody gets a break and the workload still gets done.
4: Do you think that this is potentially something, obviously, we statistically know that the 24th of August, nation's sickest day of the year. But I do have to wonder with sort of this return to office, more people physically going back into work, maybe you didn't really need to take a sick day when you were working remote or at home and could just sit and answer emails? Do you think this will become more common or more frequent as we head into the the back half of this year?
0: I do think so, you know, and especially with people, more people being in office, you know, there's more exposure to each other and, you know, typical colds and flu. And and so, you know, we're going to see some of that more than we have in the past because, yeah, when you're working from home, you can sometimes, you know, push through that day versus having to get up and commute into an office and be in office all day.
4: Thanks so much for joining us, Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs expert at Robert Half. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, making sure your 401k isn't lost during a job exit or a change.
1: Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with Two Times Faster download speeds than T Mobile 5G Home Internet during peak hours. Okay. Stop the why's and visit Cox.com 5G Home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. The WBBM noon business hour continues.
4: Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Pearson in for Rob Hart, and these are the top stories on news radio WBBM. We're learning more about a deadly shooting in the far northwest suburbs overnight. This is Mike Krauser.
7: If they don't feel safe, you will not get mail.
4: Letter carriers say enough is enough. In personal finance Wednesday, as a record setting number of people quit their jobs or find other employment, they may unknowingly leave retirement savings in the dust. A store featuring the iconic radio flyer wagon and bike brand is coming to Chicago's suburbs. WBBM business stocks trading lower, the Dow down 58 points, the Nasdaq off 96, S&P 500 down 13 points. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues as more details are now being released about an overnight shooting in unincorporated Crystal Lake. The McHenry County Sheriff says deputies were called to a home on the 5800 block of Wild Plum Road just before 4 o'clock and found three women dead inside. Another woman who had called 911 was wounded and taken to the hospital for treatment. A man who police believe was the aggressor was taken to a hospital where he later died. There's no word yet on the relationship between all those people in the home. Chicago mail carriers held a rally at their union headquarters last night demanding that something be done to improve safety on the job.
8: Enough of being targeted, the letter carriers say. Their union says the violence against our members is unacceptable, appalling, and out of control. There have been more than 90 incidents this year. Letter carriers robbed at gunpoint, often for their arrow keys or master keys, which open multiple mailboxes. Mark Julian is a letter carrier.
7: If they don't feel safe, customers, you will not get mail. What do we want?
8: There were three armed robberies of local letter carriers last week. One was shot in the leg. One letter carrier at the rally told CBS2 he just spent $700 on a bulletproof vest. They want something done. They want people to help police find those responsible and they want to see them prosecuted. Mike Krauser, 105.9 WBBM
2: money conversation that pays a big dividend the WBBM noon business hour continues
4: markets are in the red joining us on the village of Bedford Park business line reminding you to bring your business home is Chris Johnson market strategist at Johnson Research Group in Cincinnati Ohio Uh, Chris is this just the markets anticipating new inflation data what do you make of what we're seeing here
7: Uh, It's a little bit of a combination of exactly that, Rachel, and maybe a little de-risking here. Remember, we're heading into a seasonally weak period of the year. I think everybody knows August and September are both those months where we hit a summer swoon, so to speak. Volatility usually goes a little bit higher. The S&P usually goes a little bit lower as uh, we get through these dog days of summer, and then the opportunities start to open back up again here when we get into the first week or two of October as everybody gets ready for the next earnings season
4: so let's let's circle back to some of that inflation data as we await tomorrow's uh, CPI report. What are your thoughts on that and and how it'll dictate the markets moving forward?
7: Well, obviously, everybody's a little bit edgy ahead of this report We've got a long period between when uh, the Fed had their last meeting and then their next meeting, Jackson Hole, nestled in between there. People are looking right now at the price of oil specifically in the last month or so we've seen crude oil prices really start to hit a new trend higher. Uh, The bullish case has been made and is following through. That's because you've got, you know, not only our economy, but other global economies that look like they could be starting to work their way out of these doomsday recession scenarios. So energy gets back in demand here. That is going to reflect itself in a CPI number that could be a little bit uh, warmer, let's say, than expected.
4: Well, and uh, if it's not, as you said, a doomsday recession, can we call it a soft landing? Do You think the Fed's orchestrated that?
7: Wow. I'm going to be just as cautious about saying that as Chairman Powell was a couple of weeks ago Mm -hmm. when he was asked directly. You know, they don't want to do a victory lap just yet. We do have to make sure that this last little bit of inflation gets tamped out of the system to go down from 9 percent to, you know, where we are right now, hovering around 5 percent and making our way down to 4. That's still a good distance from the Fed's target of 2 percent. And you have to remember that this last little move, these last two percentage points, this is hard. This is where the work really gets in there. And the data, as the Fed has been waiting to see, is going to, I think, take some time to actually show that we have gotten rid of inflation. So I I think it's a little early to say that the, you know, the perfect soft landing has been uh, achieved. But – I mean, you've got to give the Fed credit. They've really pulled something off here.
4: Yeah, well, and, and if we're talking about bringing in that last two percentage there, is it, is it what, what would be the biggest factor to derail that from happening?
7: Well, obviously the two things that are, I think, high on everybody's radar our screen are, first of all, energy just that we just talked about and then wage inflation. Um, specifically, look at all of the strikes that are happening this summer. Um, whether it is the public employees in Los Angeles that walked out yesterday. We've obviously seen Hollywood go on strike. Mm -hmm. We saw UPS avoid a strike. All of this is going to translate into higher wages as we work our way over the next six months to a year. And we know we get some finality to these negotiations. People are going to instantly try to discount that into wage inflation that is going to kind of put pressure on CPI again. So, I think those are your two hardest components right now and what the Fed's probably looking at the hardest.
4: If we take a step back and look at the broader markets, what areas look attractive to you right now?
7: Wow, it's hard not to like large cap technology. Everybody's talking about AI. I think there's a little bit, and don't take this, let's not run to extremes, but when you talk about AI, I think there's a little bit of a, let's call it inflated. It's not Mm -hmm. a bubble yet, but we've certainly, the market's gotten ahead of itself, hasn't been able to value what ai is going to be worth microsoft tried it a couple weeks ago is suggesting that you know their office uh was going to they were going to start charging more for office with ai built into it so we're seeing companies that are trying to actually put a number on it the market has already put some lofty valuations there companies like palantir you know large cap that are in that ai mix nvidia obviously i think if we get a pullback which i do think we'll get a short-term pullback in technology we get that over the summer, those are the areas that are most attractive for me to go into. And then the energy trade. Energy trade is coming back. It worked in 2022. It's been bearish in 2023, but we're starting to emerge. So I think that the energy sector is one that I'm looking at very heavily.
4: Thanks so much for joining us. Chris Johnson, market strategist at Johnson Research Group. Up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, the
2: The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
4: It's Personal Finance Wednesday. As people change jobs more often than in previous years, they may be leaving something very valuable behind. Let's talk about tracking down that 401k account with Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of Wealth Management Group in Inverness and Downers Grove. Craig, uh, we know that a record number of Americans quit their jobs last year, and I'm willing to bet that not everyone remembered to pack up their 401k.
8: Well, Rachel, the data doesn't lie. We're talking about 29 million old 401k accounts worth more than $1.6 trillion dollars. That was trillion with a T. So I think this is a big issue. I mean, the American worker just doesn't stay in place at one job the way they used to. And if everyone wants to get retired and stay retired, they need to be better in touch with their monies. And that means having a command and control of those old 401k balances.
4: So let's say I have shifted careers. I've moved around. I have a new job. How do I go back and look for that 401k account?
8: Well, yeah, you need to go back and look at it. And the way you're going to track that thing down is you're first going to rummage through the junk drawer. Rachel, everyone's got one in the kitchen. (laughs) Yes. And you might just find an old statement. And if you can't find an old statement, you're going to jump into your inbox. But sometimes that inbox, if you weren't using your personal email, if you were using your work email, it's not going to help you out because I want people to look for correspondence electronically from their old 401ks. Maybe the simplest thing for everyone everyone to do that's listening. If you're one of five Americans who hasn't been in touch with your old employer on your retirement plan, just call your old employer's HR and say, hey, did I participate in a 401k plan? If so, can you put me in touch and what are going to be my choices on what to do with the balance? Because I think that's critical.
4: Well, and what can you do with that balance? Because you can roll it over into uh, your, your current employer or maybe uh, putting it into an IRA. There's some options there.
8: Let's hit them quick. Let's start with what not to do, right, Rachel? <laughs> yes. Sometimes that's the most powerful thing. Do not cash out your 401k. I don't care if there's $1,000 in it, $5,000, <laughs> 55000 Do not cash it out. You cannot borrow for retirement right? Mm-hmm. But you can borrow for short-term needs. Number two, I think if we just got done finding that old 401k, don't leave it there. I want you to roll that money into your new 401k plan at work, if you have it, or consider rolling that money into an individual retirement account, an IRA that you control, that you manage, so you can have more presence with the monies that you've tucked away for retirement.
4: Well, and Craig, we've obviously, this conversation has been very focused on on retroactively looking at 401ks, but we know, you know, people may be looking for that next job right now. And this is something to, this is one of the many ducks to perhaps have in a row if you are looking at making a career change.
8: Yeah, if you're making a career change, you have to have command and control of your total benefits, you know, your total benefit packages. And especially when you're looking for that new job, don't just be evaluating salary evaluate what I call total compensation, what type of retirement benefits, health benefits are being provided. I think if you're job shopping, it's just a reminder that thou shall get organized, whether (laughs) you do it alone or you go with an organizer. I think we are just started the second half of the year. It's early August. Let's have everybody get organized and have command and control over the finances so we can start making measured and intelligent decisions that end with greater returns for all of us who are saving for retirement.
4: Thou shall get organized. I need that as a needle point over my junk drawer in my kitchen. Thanks so much, Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of Wealth Management Group. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. And still to come, remember that radio flyer brand? It's making moves into the brick-and-mortar space.
2: Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
4: Chicago-based Radio Flyer is entering new territory in November. Let's get the details from Allie Maradi, restaurants and retail reporter at Crane's Chicago Business. And Allie, the Red Flyer, Radio Flyer, the, I thinking of the Little Red Wagon. It's been uh, an iconic name for decades, but now this is sort of a new major milestone for the company.
9: Yeah, you're exactly right. So they're opening their first store at the Woodfield Mall in November and they're going to have all their products there, the Red Wagon, the tricycles, the bikes. Um, you know, they've got basically anything that kids would want to ride around, right? But they also <laughs> Or adults. Have or adults, yes. <laughs> and they also have e-bikes for adults, which I just spoke with their CEO, Robert Passon, and, and he told me that the e-bikes were really the impetus for opening the store so that people can come in, try them out. The store will be big enough that they can test ride them out into the parking lot or around actual store if there's inclement weather and, you know, he said e-bikes are one of those things that you don't really get until you ride on one.
4: Yeah, well, and, and here's the other thing from what I'm understanding is that it's, it's a retail space, a brick and mortar retail space, which is significant because you want to be able to see it, try it out. But it also includes a, a service center. So if you need to get that bike tuned up, you can actually go somewhere and, and have it serviced.
9: Yeah, it's a service center. There's also um, places where you can customize things. Like if you buy a wagon for somebody's baby shower, you can put their kid's name on there or whatever it may be. So it's really one of these very experiential, you know, situations, which we're seeing a lot more in retail these days. A lot of retailers will use their physical brick and mortar store as kind of a brand building. And then you can go in and explore the products and maybe you go home and buy them online.
4: But this is what's interesting is that Radio Flyer has the brand, it has the name recognition, and it's just now entering this brick-and-mortar space uh, when many retailers are doing the opposite and moving into e-commerce.
9: Yeah, you're exactly right. So Radio Flyer has um, historically sold its product at other retailers, Walmart, Target, Amazon, also, Toys R Us is kind of an example of one that uh, would be indicative of the retail landscape just dis- being disruptive in some way. So you, I spoke to a couple of retail experts about this that said they could see why Radio Flyer would kind of want to, you know, take the reins themselves and open their own store.
4: And, and I'm guessing that that's just larger margins for Radio Flyer as well, being able to be the direct, you know, manufacturer to consumer there.
9: Yeah, exactly. But there's also, you know, the challenge of uh, having to pay the overhead for a Mm -hmm. store. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I spoke with the CEO who he doesn't use the CEO title, he calls himself the chief wagon officer. (laughs) Um, He was saying that that's sort of the big question. You know, they've obviously crunched a lot of numbers, but they're going to wait and see if this works. And if it does, they're going to open more around the country.
4: Thanks so much, Ali Maradi, restaurants and retail reporter at Crane's Chicago Business. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and on the Odyssey app.
7: How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage.